0: From the European Broadcasting Union in Geneva, I'm Emilio San Pedro, and this is the Eurovision News Podcast. With the Eurovision Song Contest right around the corner, who
1: better to hear from this week than its executive supervisor, Martin Ostradal. In this episode, Emilio and Martin discuss his history with the event, the message behind the contest, the unique planning that has occurred as the BBC has stepped in to host in Ukraine's place, and of course, what kind of festive ambiance we can expect from the venue in Liverpool.
0: Enjoy. Martin, first of all, thank you very much for talking to us. Uh, I know we've spoken about this uh, several times, uh, you know, in the margins of meetings and and all that here at the, at the EBU, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, never asked you just, how your sort of awareness passion for interest in the eurovision song contest where where it comes from did it is it something from way back when or did it sort of come as a sort of work related thing
1: well it it is from way back when i mean i I grew up in a music industry family in in sweden both my parents worked in the music business um obviously in sweden the uh, eurovision song contest and it's national selection melody festival and has always been a huge thing a, a massive tv and music event it is the biggest show on television it's also a you know a, a, it's also a project where the state broadcaster svt works very closely with the music industry and have done for for decades and decades and it's a sort of symbiotic relationship that has been very fruitful both for svt the the national broadcaster but also for the swedish music industry uh you know most famously of course is abba's victory uh in 1974
0: yeah so all the way back to abba sweden has this kind of real connection with the song contest as you say yeah and people are still very passionate about it.
1: Oh yeah. Um uh, very much so. And, and and it keeps, you know, it with ABBA was also the beginning of what became the Swedish pop music export miracle uh, across the world and and Sweden is today I think the third largest exporter of pop music uh after the UK and the United States with uh, with a lot of international success and that all started with 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 ABBA. Uh, and uh, it's still going
0: on. And it's had huge success ever since. I mean, you ended up hosting a suite and ended up hosting the 2013 and 2016.
1: That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Song Contest, which you executive produced.
1: Yeah, that's correct. I, I, I've, I've actually been involved in the song contest since uh, I think the first. Eurovision Song Contest I went to was back in Helsinki, and that would have been 2006, I believe, Um, and I've been to everyone ever ever since, Um, and and had the honor to to produce the Eurovision Song Contest in Malmö in 2013 after Lorraine Euphoria uh, uh, won in Baku in Azerbaijan. Um, and then again uh, in Vienna with Mon we uh, we won again. So, yes, I'm one of the few people who have produced the show twice.
0: Wow. And what is it about that Swedish pop music sort of miracle, that, that formula? What is that that makes it sort of work and cut across? Because sometimes it feels like whether the Swedish in- entry wins or not... Uh, that year it always feels like they came in with a solid you know attempt uh, to to make themselves uh, known.
1: yeah, I think the solid attempt uh, comes from the fact that the national selection is such a big thing and that it gets the entire music industry, the national music industry behind it. So with that kind of infrastructure in place with with six Saturday nights, uh, in a row during the winter uh, it's, a, it's a tour concept in different ice hockey size indoor arenas across the country in Sweden which is the pre-selection for Eurovision Song Contest um, and, and, and I think you know, it's every year thousands of songs are being uh, submitted uh, and, and the best are selected for this tour show and then eventually there's a winner at the end of that but those, those submissions are all high quality and I think that tradition and that you know, infrastructure of that big public event being also backed by the music industry from, from the beginning uh, does create a, um, uh, a platform where, where, where good music comes from. It's not dissimilar to what it, the Italians have with Sanremo, which of course is the oldest of its kind and also the inspiration to the Eurovision Song Contest itself. Um, and since, uh, since Italy, Italy came back to the Eurovision Song Contest after a, a brief uh, pause a, a few years ago and then since then San has act has been the national pre-selection show. Uh, and and just like the example of, of Sweden, we always know that at the end of that long pipeline of the San Remo Festival, there will be a good, uh, there will be a good Italian act. Uh, so I think that that structural in place that, that some countries have in the national selections really is the uh, the, the main key to to uh, to the to the answer to, the, to your question. But but that aside, I mean that Sweden specifically has a has a very very strong music culture and music tradition Uh, and it's often referred to the schooling system how we teach music in sweden how it's a natural part of what every kid learns to 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 do growing up it's a singing culture we sing when we eat we sing when we drink uh similarly to the irish actually And, and funnily enough sweden and ireland are the two countries that have won the eurovision song contest the most times
0: now, so you came from that sort of uh, background of real, you know, passion for music, passion for the contest itself, direct involvement in the contest as an executive producer working uh, for a big public service media member of the EBU. But then you come to work here, working on the contest itself. Uh, this huge event takes place once a year, and you've got to run it. So what was that like?
1: Um, well, I had a I had a um, a period in between, sort of bridging bridging in between those two, and that's uh, that's called the reference group, which is the governing board of the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, and, and as an executive producer, you stay on that for another two years each. Well, after you've hosted, and because we hosted twice in three years, I, I actually sat on on the reference group for a, for a total of seven years before I came here. So I was quite well. I was very familiar with the EBU uh, with, with, the, with the key people in the Eurovision Song Contest team here in Geneva, uh, with the legal department, with, with uh, the communications department, with the management. Uh, so I, I guess I had a, you know I, I had some preparations. Uh, but, but coming here and working on, on, on this side of it of course gives a different perspective. Um, the Eurovision Song Contest, as you say, happens once. A year, but that's only part of the truth. What actually happens every year is that there's, it's an international movement uh, that starts around Christmas uh, and that takes you to uh, to the grand final in, in the middle of May. Uh, similarly to, to the world of sports, that would be the the World Cup final that you see, the grand final of the Eurovision. But the national selection and the pre-selection phase, which begins in uh, around Christmas time, is is the uh, the FIFA qualifiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it lives a, a life more and more, which is three sixty five on digital. Uh, it is a v- still, which is amazing. Uh, being an entertainment television show producer, it's 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 encouraging to see that the Eurovision Song Contest, contrary to many other shiny floor music entertainment shows, is actually still growing in popularity and growing in audience, and it really has kept its uh, its grip on the audience. and, and with a different digital. Platforms that we add to to television, uh, this brand and product is uh, is really growing uh, uh, at great speed at the moment.
0: And one of the things you're able to do with the Eurovision Song Contest throughout that whole year, but also on the on the week, the big week itself, and the final on the Saturday, is that for many of the members of the EBU, this is when they draw the highest number. Of young people to their main channels that used to be back in the heyday of television, the channels that, that ran things, you know, that everybody watched, but they struggle to get young people to watch, but not when the song contest is on.
1: No, um, that's right. Um, I think we typically, you know, on, an, on average across the board, I think we're the Eurovision Song Contest scores, you know, double or quadruple uh, in, in that target group. Compared to uh, the channel average um, as th- that you just mentioned, which is great news, of course. But the, the, you know, the Eurovision Song Contest does a lot of good things for for Euro- European public service media. It's it's when we reach the young audience, but it's also when we really show the values, because this is a value-driven brand, um, and um, the values are uh, diversity, inclusivity, universality. Values that are deeply rooted in European public service media traditions, um, but it, it is manifested on that stage uh, once every year when we unite Europe uh, on one stage and, and, and have this contest together. So I think um, that's, that's that's a big reason why it's still still relevant.
0: As you say, it's it's very value driven. There's a, the feeling of positivity, inclusivity in it. There's obviously a message there of, you know, acceptance and love even, you know, it's it's a very positive message. But it's difficult in this day and age and always, isn't it, to keep politics out of something so big like the Eurovision Song Contest. What's that like? What's What are the challenges around that?
1: I actually heard the other day from a colleague at BBC that there was some research that have that have found that watching the Eurovision Song Contest makes your life 13% more happy. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what the scientific <laughs> the basis for that is but, but I thought it was an interesting fact. So yeah, we should all watch Eurovision and we'll be a little bit happier. But yes, um, it is I mean we have decided a long time ago in this collaboration. The Eurovision Song Contest is a co-production. So it's a co-production between 40 or so public service media companies in Europe and beyond as we say these days. And we decided a long time ago, when we set the rules for this contest, that the stage would be free from political messaging, from instrumentalization, but also free from commercial messages and a few other things that we uh, want to keep. Um, um, we want to keep this a safe haven for for uh, for, for a number of uh, reasons, um, and and we work very hard on that. Uh, what does happen is that people around and, and, and stakeholders around the song contest make politics out of it. But I think the agreement that we have within the membership and the, and the delegations that participate in this every year is that we stick to those rules. We, we, we try our best to, to avoid using that great platform that we have to, to put across messages that might divide us. And that is the key here. We don't want messages of division. We want messages of unity.
0: Right. And last year, the winner was Ukraine. uh, And it was a very uh, emotional moment for them. Obviously, Ukraine uh, in the middle of uh, dealing with this Russian invasion. This has led to the suspension of the Russian members from the EBU after a very complex uh, process. But Ukraine wins and they're very keen aren't they to host it at that point and think even though they're in the midst of this uh war that they'll be able to host it it must have been a very challenging process to say to them sorry but you, we just can't hold it there it, it was uh it, it was it was a
1: difficult time for for the song contest but the um the um again the the um the framework that we've all agreed upon has also addressed this, of course, in the past. I mean, we, this is not the first time. The Eurovision has been around for a while <laughs> and we, we've seen a lot of crises and a lot of conflicts along the way, but, but so, so we, have, uh, we have this tradition of, if you win it, you host it, which is unique for the Eurovision and it's, it's a fantastic tradition, but we also have um, rules that say that there, there's, there's, it's not an automatic hosting um, honor or, or obligation. There, there, there are checks and balances along the way uh, that we need to make sure that that we can bring all the stakeholders to, to a place and that we can keep everyone safe. I mean, when, when we do a Eurovision, we're typically in a venue for about eight or nine weeks. Uh, there, there's uh, as much as 10 or 11,000 people accredited backstage to actually contribute to make these shows happen. And of course, their safety uh, is our is our main main concern
0: in the end, the EBU decided that it would be held in Britain after consultations with the national broadcaster there, the BBC, which agreed to go ahead and host it. Their runner-up act with Sam Ryder when the contest was held in Italy. But you did decide at the same time that Ukraine would be celebrated, that there would be a big Ukrainian element to this year's. Show.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, the the um, the, e- the EBU as a whole um, and, and all its members and, and everyone involved in the Eurovision Song Contest has, you know, been been pretty clear when it comes to uh, our position on Ukraine. We uh, we are supporting Ukraine in many ways uh, throughout the EBU membership uh, and our member organisation UAPBC. Um, of course they want it they deserve to host it but because of well-known reasons they are not able to host it but we wanted to find a way of embracing their victory uh, and their very sp- specific culture, uh, their great uh, track record in the song contest um, and, um, and, and and a wonderful creative industry that that exists in Ukraine. We wanted that to be embraced in the shows, even though, uh, unfortunately, they could not be held inside uh, of Ukraine. So that is what BBC wanted to do. That is what we wanted to do. And um, that's what we're doing in Liverpool.
0: So it's going to be held in Liverpool. And what are going to be some of the Ukrainian elements? I know you can't tell us everything, obviously. You have to save it for the moment. Yeah, I don't want moment. to spoil, spoil no.
1: the surprise. But but no, it's been a very good collaboration between the BBC and UAPBC, uh, the Ukrainian broadcaster. Um, and um, in in I would say every element of the, of the show, production, and also event planning – uh, there has been uh, involvement from from the Ukrainian member, uh, and I believe that they have managed to find a very very nice balance. I mean, the, the Eurovision Song Contest is of course about the thirty seven participating broadcasters. It's also about the host city, Liverpool, but additionally, and the host country, the UK. But additionally, this year we're also embracing uh, and showing uh, Ukraine.
0: So the UK is hosting it. It's going to be in Liverpool. Uh, what are you hoping, or what are you expecting, uh, and what should we expect from from what's going to happen in Liverpool?
1: I think we can all expect a very special Eurovision Song Contest because of these unique circumstances. It's the first time this has happened that another member steps in for for a fellow member. Um, and, and like I said, there there are more elements. Uh, that we need to take into consideration. There are more elements that we would like to present and show. Um, and I have seen all the preparations of course, but I'm not a in a position to to disclose it at, at, at this time. Um, but it, it, um, it will be um, yeah it will be a, an amazing show. The BBC are incredibly talented, uh, incredibly experienced and, and, and efficient effective when it comes to producing high quality, entertainment as we know um and 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 as i said they've managed to find ways to include and embrace ukraine in in um, in a very good way
0: and liverpool itself uh is going to get in on the action
1: yeah of course and liverpool adds another element to it because it is the city of pop it's it's the home of the beatles there's a rich music tradition there and, and this of course will somehow also be embraced in the shows
0: so have you been uh, familiarizing yourself with the big uh, acts the 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 ones that we're going to be seeing on the the week that's coming up very soon uh, is there anyone you've been looking at or any 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 artists you can tell us about that are quite interesting this year that we should look out for I know people start talking about it I haven't checked on Twitter and, and on social media but I know uh, for example whenever we do the tag the eurovision news podcast there are always eurovision song contest fans that peek in thinking oh this is going to be about the song contest and very sort of usually disappointed to find out it's not this time it is uh but uh yeah any anything you could tell us about who's sort of the runners and riders are there any kind of already uh some feelings about that
1: well you know one of one of my main uh, uh, responsibilities as the executive supervisor is to is to remain neutral mm-hmm. in this sense, and to make sure that everyone gets equal opportunity and that the contest is an even playing field. So, uh, nice try, but you're not go- you're not going to okay. get <laughs> you're not you <gonna laughs> you're not going to get me to <laughs> mention any any particular acts. What I can say is that over the years that I've been involved in the song contest, I've seen a a steady improvement in terms of the quality of the acts and the quality of the songs. I think the, the, uh, the you know, we, we've always had great top levels, but now we have a, a, a low level, if, if you, pardon the expression, which is significantly higher than it was 10 years ago. If you go back and listen to, to the, the, the playlists of, of um, earlier Eurovision Song Contests with the one that you will be listening to this year, Uh, And last year and the year before that, uh, the the Eurovision has really taken leaps forward in terms of being closer to uh, pop music in general, what people like to listen to, even outside of the contest, but also keeping that unique, courageous... uh, twist on, 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 the, on the songs and the performances that are so significant for the song contest. And this is being noticed. It's being noticed by, by the big music industry players. It's being noticed by, by platforms like Spotify, who, who, who now realize that the official Eurovision Song Contest playlist of last year was actually their second most listened to. Mm. So, so, so they're all coming to, to, uh, to support uh, the Eurovision Song Contest now, which wasn't always the case
0: right and you you men- we mentioned we mentioned uh, how people really talk about it all year long on on social media and it's yeah. a huge
1: i mean uh, we had a phenomenal uh, i mean a couple of years ago when you talked about the hits of the Eurovision song contest people were referring to Celine Dion or ABBA now in the last 3 or 4 years we've had so many uh, breakout successes coming from the Eurovision Song Contest, and they're happening now. I mean, the music that, that we put on stage now is becoming the hits of today. We have a wonderful example from, from last year's ed- edition where uh, a, an act that was a, a young girl from Armenia who didn't even finish in the top 10, actually finished in 20th place in the grand final, had a worldwide hit with Snap, uh, Rosalyn. Uh, and that's just one of these amazing Eurovision success stories that we've had in the past.
0: And Maniskin, that yeah. won two years ago, has become a huge group in the US. I right. mean, so have a very big following yeah. in a country where the Eurovision Song Contest is known, but not yeah. as big as it is and, elsewhere. And that
1: has made a, a big difference for us because if, if, if a Eurovision act has success in the US, then the major record companies start realizing and start getting curious what what is this? What is this platform? What, what is this contest? And, and Monoskin's success has definitely uh, um, yeah, made a difference.
0: And that, I guess one of the challenges is that people see it in some places like the U.S. as fun, possibly fun to poke fun at as well, the song contest, but that not necessarily to be taken seriously. And what you're saying is, yes, it is.
1: Yeah, uh, and I don't see a contradiction there to be honest. I mean, it is serious in many ways. It has a widespread and deep impact. It's a very complex project and a complex organization. It has many stakeholders. Um, so it's serious in those regards. On the other hand, it has to be fun. It has to be um, uh, courageous. It has to be um, thought-provoking. Uh, as, a, as a producer of, of television, I'd say the love and hate thing is not a bad thing. What we're afraid of is the indifference. We can never be indifferent to the Eurovision Song Contest.
0: So the fact that it's got that sort of love-hate thing going yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. And why the huge following, do you think, in the LGBT community? It really is, uh, has been and continues to be uh, huge in in that community in
1: particular. I think it is because of the values, uh, because we really, you know, we make no fuzz about it. We stand up for, for these values and for everyone's right to be whoever they want to be. And, and we have always done that. I mean, we have, we still have these conversations going on uh, with other major super events of the world, not least in the, uh, in the world of sports uh, and not so long ago. Um, but for us, it's never been a question. Uh, this is a place where everyone's welcome. And uh, like I said before, uh, diversity, inclusivity are our core values.
0: So we should expect more of the same this time around? Yes. You've got this um, you know really serious moment, don't you, in your role when uh, it's time to reveal the winners, the scores have to be read out, and you're up there uh, usually... Uh, sat behind a very serious looking desk with others and reading out the scores and and you've got this phrase that they've really picked up on I know in the UK definitely they have it's good to go what's the story behind that
1: <laughs> <laughs> the story behind behind the the, the phrase or or or, or the, the what we're actually doing what what you're referring to is the The moment in the show when the presenters go to the scrutineers' desk. That's right. The the EBU scrutineers' desk. And this is also part of Eurovision tradition that you go to the scrutineers' desk uh, before announcing the results to check that everything is okay with the voting. And if you know your Eurovision history well... Uh, you know that that's not always the case. Yes. So, so uh, our job at the scrutinist desk is to make sure that it is, and if it's not, to come up with contingency uh, plans to um, to rescue the broadcast. <laughs> but there's a lot going on there, actually. I mean, people people might think that we're, we're just sitting there um, as figureheads, but uh, yeah. There've um, challenges. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, and. Um, Hopefully, if everything's good, all I need to do is to tell everyone that they're good to go.
0: And we're good to go with this year's contest then.
1: Yeah, we are. Indeed.
0: Martin Osterdahl, executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest here at the EBU. Thank you so much for talking to us on the podcast. And I guess next time we'll be seeing you, we'll be up there on that scrutineer's desk uh, in Liverpool.
1: I suppose so, yes. Uh, (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and telling a friend about us. This is Laurent Fratt, producer of the podcast. The music was created by Mickey Curling, and Martin Lanneser took care of the sound. Thank you from all of us.